I would say there was not a lot of time for me in that I didn't allow myself to make time for me. I allowed myself to make time to work and, you know, to do the things that I thought were supportive of the family. So I was just going through life really oblivious to anything else that was going on around me if it wasn't related to work. It started just in a benign way where my big left toe went numb after I ignored the symptoms of that numbness as it slowly crept up from the toe to the ankle or then the knee, then the hip and then the entire left side of my body. I completely fell through what we call the gaps or the cracks over here. The issue that I had was that I didn't know that I needed for example, a neuropsychological assessment. It was only until I went to my psychologist after the second episode that she said, do you know that you should be going to see a neuropsychologist so they can determine where your deficits are? And I said, no, nobody's told me that. And unfortunately, that was about five months in. Every stroke is different and every recovery is different. So everyone's going to have to make their own path forward about how they go about their own stroke recovery. Hello and welcome to Stroke Stories. I'm Mark Goodyear. In Australia, recent research by the Stroke Foundation found that 84% of stroke survivors found that their post-stroke medical needs relating to concentration, memory, fatigue and emotion had not been met by their aftercare. In Australia, by 2050, it's predicted that someone will suffer a first-time stroke every four minutes. Survival rates continue to improve, but strokes can have a considerable emotional impact on all of those affected. So we started Stroke Stories, the podcast, to seek out and to hear from stroke survivors. In this episode, we'll hear from Bill Gassiamis from Melbourne, who suffered three strokes when he was in his late 30s. I was an average kind of guy. I had a property maintenance business, so I spent a lot of time running around, doing quotes and working long hours and labouring quite hard. And that business had been going for quite a number of years before I got to the point where I became unwell. And in that time, of course, we had kids and a mortgage and all the usual stuff that people just trying to put a roof over their heads and um, keep their children educated get up to. So I would say there was not a lot of time for me in that I didn't allow myself to make time for me. I allowed myself to make time to work and, you know, to do the things that I thought were supportive of the family. So I was just going through life really oblivious to anything else that was going on around me if it wasn't related to work and being kept busy by the family. I could just say I felt sluggish and I felt like I wasn't at my peak, at my best. So it was harder to do things. I was struggling to be positive. I noticed myself more than anything just being mentally negative and talk about all the problems that I had rather than talk about all the opportunities that I could create. I was lacking resources to be the best version of myself. It started just in a benign way where my big left toe went numb after I ignored the symptoms of that numbness as it slowly crept up from the toe to the ankle or then the knee, then the hip and then the entire left side of my body. I finally went to the doctor about seven days later 
and I was quite coherent. I didn't really have anything that you would say were the classic symptoms of stroke except the numbness. And of course, being the type of person that I was, I just completely ignored it and went about going to work. The second time, it was six weeks later and I was at work because uh, even though I was told to stay home and not go to work, I still went to work. And we were on a job and I had the guys doing some property repairs and I noticed myself just fading away on the left side and not being able to support myself in a chair, which I was sitting in. And the numbness came back, the room started to spin. I realized there was something going on and we attended hospital that time. I'd say about six or seven hours after the second episode began, because again, I didn't want to interfere with the guys doing their work. And then a little while later, nearly almost three years actually, after the first incident in February 2012, I ended up going for a bike ride one day in November of 2014, and the next day I realized that I was feeling burning sensation on my left side, And that burning sensation was like I had sat in the sun and only one side of my body got burnt. And that was the third and final bleed. And that was what led to my brain surgery. The issue that I had was an arteriovenous malformation. So a blood vessel malformation and that blood vessel burst. And they wanted to sit it out because they figured that these things very rarely bleed three times. Uh, They often don't bleed two times and once is about the extent that they bleed. And for me, though, it wasn't going to resolve itself. So surgery became the only way um, to resolve it. After the first episode, I had six weeks of doing nothing, basically just checking out where I was at. And I noticed that I was suffering from fatigue. I was on some medication, which made me really angry, but I was quite coherent. I didn't really lose any of my faculties. After the second time, I experienced a lot of neurological problems, including memory and being able to start and finish sentences and remembering who came to visit me. I couldn't drive. I couldn't type an email. So cognitively, I suffered a lot. And that took about six or seven months to start to resolve. And as it did, it just meant that the bleed in the brain was decreasing in size, was just getting absorbed by the body. And I started to recover and get better. There was no therapy that was suggested by the hospital system. And that was a bit of a shock because I really required someone to diagnose how to overcome the issues of the cognitive challenges that I had. The third time when I woke from surgery, I wasn't able to feel my left side and I had to learn how to walk again and use my left arm again because now I was suffering from what they call proprioception uh, challenges where the body on the left side didn't know where in the world it was and wasn't sending signals back to the brain that, for example, my leg was on the ground and that my hand was holding a cup. Bill had suffered two strokes but missed out on crucial therapy and treatment. I completely fell through what we call the gaps or the cracks over here. The issue that I had was that I didn't know that I needed for example, a neuropsychological assessment. It was only until I went to my psychologist after the second episode that she said, do you know that you should be going to see a neuropsychologist so they can determine where your deficits are? And I said, no, nobody's told me that. And unfortunately, that was about five months in. I don't know why that happened to me. I can only assume that they didn't do a thorough enough follow-up of what was happening to me after that second episode. When 
Truly, I believe they should have because when I presented to hospital, I didn't know who I was. I couldn't tell them my name and I didn't recognize my wife. So somewhere in that part of the process, they missed the obvious. And as a result of that, I left from the hospital that I was being treated at and took myself to another hospital where I felt I was going to be cared for better. I was recovering on my own and my wife was my main carer when she was at home from work and she would say things like, you know, Bill, you said that or don't you remember when this happened or well, you were going to finish a sentence. So she would take me through this process of trying to explain to me that I was doing something or hadn't finished something that I began and that was the only way that I became aware. But because the two of us didn't understand what all that meant, we didn't know how to respond. We didn't know what to do about it. So it was really me just researching on the internet, trying to find out what do I do from here? How do I go forward? And how do I heal myself if it's at all possible? And what things can I do to uh, support myself in my own recovery? Bill had recovered well from his strokes, but three years later, his worst fears were realised. I could say that I was back to 100% my old self. All the deficits went away. All the challenges that people would consider a part of stroke went away. And I thought I was on the home stretch. I thought everything was going well. From time to time, I would have strange headaches and weird sensations in my body. And often that meant that I might go to the hospital uh, to get myself looked at to make sure that it wasn't another bleed. And most of the time it came back negative, that there was no bleeding occurring. So I I felt like I was really on track to have this resolved without any intervention from the medical system. I actually drove myself to the hospital. I was going to see a client in our um, central business district in Melbourne in Australia. And on the way there, when I noticed these burning sensation, I figured there's definitely something going on and I drove myself to the hospital and I parked the car and I walked into triage and I spoke to the nurse and said, look, I think I'm having a stroke. You need to get somebody to see me immediately, please. Red carpet treatment. When you walk in, tell them that you uh, might be experiencing a stroke and it was in fact the hospital that I had been treated at up until then. And I was in CT scan within, I would say, literally half an hour surgery was scheduled approximately three weeks later and in that time there was just a lot of medical appointments and when surgery was scheduled I attended and I spent a month in rehabilitation. So I was uh, taken out of the general hospital wing and taken out to a rehabilitation hospital where I spent literally a month learning how to use my left arm and my leg again, going through all the therapies that you could possibly uh, associate with somebody recovering from a a stroke and also occupational therapy and just getting myself to that point where when I got home, I could climb the two or three steps up to my front door and get myself into the shower and into the bath, into the bathroom and also be able to feed myself independently so that it wasn't necessary for my wife to be at home 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Bill's third stroke was a serious one. He had to take time out before he could even try and return to normal life. I had uh, quite a number of months away from work. I would say that it took me around four months to get back to work at a very basic level. I wasn't doing anything physical or climbing ladders or doing any of that kind of work. I was just managing work and having my employees and my contractors do the work. So I was back at work, but in a very limited capacity. 
I was able to start to feel confident about getting on the ladder and I started feeling confident about getting back on the tools when I needed to. But it also took me a while to get back to driving. So it was some time before I could get into a car, drive myself to appointments and meet people and obviously to the different job sites. Uh, so I think it was after surgery, I was released just before December, before Christmas of 2014. And I don't think I got back to work properly until about April or May. Not only did Bill's stroke affect his work, it also had an impact on him and his family. I thought the first time was benign. It didn't really mean much. There wasn't a lot of neurological conditions or symptoms. So I was able to really think not, not much of it. And then when it happened the second time, and because it was so dramatic, I really considered my mortality and what that meant for me in my future and what my future was going to look like. I remember becoming extremely emotional and not being able to contain my emotions at times. I also became angry and frustrated and uh, just I became a, a worse version of myself until I had this understanding where I realized that what I was doing as well at the same time was impacting negatively on my children. So I went out of my way to understand what was happening to me and that's where the psychology really helped so that I was able to put things into perspective and then get a lot of information from my doctors, which helped. Because when I understood that, although this was serious, it wasn't likely to be completely catastrophic for me. So that meant that I was able to relax a little bit on the mortality thing and on the being dead in a couple of months thing. And I felt better about my future. Bill has survived incredibly challenging times with his strokes, suffering three in as many years and missing out on the help he desperately needed. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Bill explains the impact that his podcast series has had on his recovery. That has helped me tremendously feel better about my recovery, but I, I know that it's also helped other people in their own recovery do little things that support their brain to heal instead of keeping their brain you know, feeling unwell or not being at its optimum. And he talks about the difficulties he experienced when talking to other people about his stroke. It was an education campaign, I suppose, that I needed to embark on when I was interacting with other people to get them to, a, a little bit, at least in a, in a small way, understand what it is that I was going through. Let's hear how Bill got involved with a number of local and national stroke charities and support groups. In Australia, we have a number uh, that are local to my area in Melbourne, and specifically the key body in Australia is called the uh, Stroke Foundation. And they do a lot of good work in stroke awareness. And as a result, they have a good community of people that they uh, support through different methods. And I was able to connect with some of the people locally and just share stories and understand what was happening to each of us. And a little bit less isolated and also understand that people recover because although I was early on in the process, a lot of the people I met had been two or three or five or 10 years down the track. And that was a good way for me to see my future as to you know how far I could come if I put a little bit of effort in. I really went out of my way to seek out people who had been what I'd been through and as a result of that, it was what I needed. It was I needed to know that somebody could answer my questions that had been through it. Doctors can answer your questions, but they've not been through it, thankfully. But that makes them less capable of being 
understanding and empathetic and I really needed that from somebody who had lived it firsthand and come through on the other side. Bill has also started his podcast to help others. It's called Recovery After Stroke. It was conceived as an idea because I experienced all of these challenges that are associated with not enough information out there about stroke and not knowing what to do after stroke. And as a result, I contacted people online and found that there was very many people feeling like I was feeling and they wanted to share stories. So in my time as a stroke survivor, it's been nearly seven years that I'm on my stroke journey. I learned a lot about how to help myself with regards to nutrition and the benefits of things like meditation and massage and all the different things that support a stroke recovery and the medical model of stroke recovery. So I share a lot of information about that and I speak to people who share information on that and that has helped me tremendously feel better about my recovery but I I know that it's also helped other people in their own recovery do little things that support their brain to heal instead of keeping their brain you know feeling unwell or not being at its optimum because stroke survivors often struggle with fatigue they often struggle with other conditions that are associated to the injury and we can actually influence in a positive way our own well-being by making some minor changes but there's not enough people talking about it so people struggle with what to do because the medical model although it's great and without it I wouldn't be here it stops after it gets you out of hospital and back at home it doesn't really continue after that the reason why people benefit I think from communities and getting together with each other and sharing their stroke stories is because stroke is isolating it messes with your head it makes you not think clearly and it makes you not be able to consciously understand things and to process things. So it directly affects your brain. And although a a heart attack, for example, is quite a serious illness, when somebody recovers from that, they are able to almost immediately go about their business using their brain, whereas stroke survivors can't. And the stigma that we have around the Western worlds about the challenges that people face with mental disabilities really go hand in hand with the stroke community you start to understand for the first time what somebody experiencing depression is actually going through because you know 33 percent of people experiencing stroke are going to experience depression but not only that when you experience stroke it's really challenging and difficult from an energy perspective as far as you know the physical energy that it takes to go places to associate with people and to get back to life So it's very easy for a stroke survivor to just default to, I'm going to stay home. And the danger with that is that you stay home with your own thoughts and your own problems and you just create a loop of negative recovery and that is is not helpful. So as soon as you find somebody who's willing to hear what you're going through and they can say, I went through that, but now I'm feeling better, your eyes light up, your heart comes alive and you start to feel that you're not alone anymore and that there's hope. People who looked at me would think that I was perfect because you can't tell looking at me that I had this experience. So there was a lot of explaining for me to do, which was, hey, you're looking great. And for me it was, I know I might look great, but I'm actually feeling really terrible. And I'm back at work and that you guys are expecting certain things of me, but actually my brain's not capable of that at the moment. So you are going to have to 
understand that you need to remind me of things more often, speak to me differently, or write something down on a piece of paper for me and give it to me so I can take it home. Um, you need to understand that I don't have the energy to run around the amount of hours that I was before. So I'm not going to be the same version of myself for a little while. And you need to adjust the way that you do things because I can't adjust and be the same way that I was before I'm changed. So it was an education campaign, I suppose, that I needed to embark on when I was interacting with other people to get them to a, a little bit, at least in a, in a small way, understand what it is that I was going through. Stroke survivors talk about the new normal. And for me, the new normal is that my left side is entirely numb all day, every day. It's cold and hot and burning and crazy sensations all at once, all at the same time. So when I, I think about that and when I remember that, it takes uh, a toll on me. It makes me feel a little bit sad about what I've lost. But at the same time, it's not stopping me from doing too much. It just reminds me that I've had this past and that I need to grow as a result of what's happened to me. I feel pretty positive about the future, especially since I launched the Recovery After Stroke podcast. Uh, that has brought me a lot of joy, a lot of feeling of fulfillment, and it's brought people across who have been able to ask questions that I've been able to answer, which has made me feel like it was all worth it. What I went through was worth it, because that means hopefully somebody else who asks a question doesn't have to go through the amount of challenge and discomfort that I went through at the beginning, especially for carers and loved ones of stroke survivors, because they do it extremely tough. And I can answer questions for these people and I could ease their burden a little bit and, and hopefully get them out of their head. So future's looking good. I'm happy with what I'm doing. And to be honest, it was, although it was the worst thing that happened to me, it was one of the best things that also happened to me. One of the things that I wanted to make sure that I did was mend my relationships. Not that they were broken, but I was just a bit more angrier and I was less understanding and compassionate. And I say sorry a lot more and I hug my children a lot more and I tell them that I love them a lot more. And I do the same thing with my wife. I make sure that everyone who means something to me really gets the full ex expression of what they mean to me as often as I can. And I don't overdo it to make them feel uncomfortable, but I am a lot more comfortable with telling people uh, how I truly feel. That is not somebody that I was in the past. And I think that part of me has given me a lot more joy and it has given me a lot more satisfaction knowing that I can change from being this oblivious version of myself to this more connected and more gentle version of myself. Bill is always looking to help other stroke survivors through the online community he created from scratch. Just recently, I've launched the recoveryafterstroke.com community where people can come and join the community and become members where they'll be coached by me one-on-one uh, -on -one in a private forum and ask questions and I can support them achieve their stroke recovery goals, uh, hopefully in conjunction with the support of their medical professionals. So in there, they'll also get monthly training sessions. They'll also have the opportunity to interact with the other people that are in the community. So I have this 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week 
community that they can access, which is something that I truly wanted to do and I couldn't and I had to go searching in all these different places. So all the information that I learned about nutrition and all the things that are necessary for a healthy brain are now in this forum and people can access those as I come across them, but they also can continue their learning at their own pace without leaving home and without needing to do all the research. So that's a really big deal for me. I really want to give back and I really want to make it my life's work and my legacy to support people in this way. I think it's going to make a tremendous difference to how people experience and and recover from stroke. And finally, Bill thinks all stroke survivors need to remember that they are unique. Every stroke is different and every recovery is different. So everyone's going to have to make their own path forward about how they go about their own stroke recovery. There are very many things that are similar that you'll be able to relate to from other people, but you also need to know that you're unique. As a carer, carers really need to take time to care for themselves at the same time that they are caring for stroke survivors. So seek out services, support services, to give the carer the opportunity to have a break because there's nothing worse than being the carer of somebody who's recovering from stroke with no downtime for them. The carers often become unwell and then both people are suffering and struggling and we don't want that. We want people to care for themselves while caring for their loved ones. Um, Stroke survivors need to just take the time to heal and not be in a rush to overcome things and just give themselves plenty of opportunity to do nothing. If nothing is necessary to feel better, then do that. Don't push through and try and break barriers Um, just because that's what you used to do before. You're dealing with a new version of yourself, a new brain, and you have to come to terms with it and learn that there's a slightly different way to do things now. So whatever that is for you, just seek that out. Although Bill suffered three serious strokes, he's managed an amazing recovery and is now doing as much as he can to help other stroke survivors through his work with local charities, his podcast, and his online community and mentoring service. If you'd like to learn more about stroke, please search online for the Stroke Association. Search for NHS Stroke if you'd like a dedicated webpage. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and rate and comment on our episodes because that will help us spread the word. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Listening.